0: Last night, me and Kirk watched Aliens.
1: Alien or aliens? Aliens. What is aliens?
0: Aliens is about multiple. Alien. Wow.
1: The linguist of here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's literally, like, literally that's the concept of the entire movie. Like, instead of it just being the one... Robbie? (laughs)
2: Robbie? We lost, Robert.
0: I just can't with these technical
2: issues. Welcome back
0: to Grappling Season Three. Yeah, (laughs) guys, it's Season Three. Did everybody have a good summer? Um, my summer was pretty good. My, my, I mean,
1: it was wasn't. That? It wasn't that was good. That I just went. I
0: just went back home. So went back home? there was nothing.
1: Yeah. Um, it was an
2: eventful summer. I,
1: I went back home. Saying. I like you shot some shot some guns. Yeah.
0: Well, you shot that some some guns. Guns. That is yeah. very Alabama. It is very Alabama. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Roll Todd. Uh, guys, I spent the entire summer preparing for my very last academic year as a Ooh-hoo! grad
3: student. Not like <gasps> the entire summer. The I'm entire kind of summer. Every
0: that single day That makes me day. sad. It should Even make you the sad. part
2: <laughs> when you were in Europe hanging out? Oh yeah, I got to go to
0: Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I worked on my dissertation while I was in Europe, but not as much. I had like a little bit of vin- I had a little bit of vino. I had a little bit of What is, what is wine? Wein. 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 Deutsch, right? Wein. Ja, genau. I started learning German. And so it was a little He of fun, did. Right? His
1: German is actually is actually really good. Um
3: okay. yeah.
0: now if only I could keep up with like French and Italian. But it's just so difficult. German is so similar to French, but okay. Anyways, I get How? it is in a lot of ways. <laughs> and that's
2: for, for another episode. <laughs> another
0: episode. <laughs> Guys, we have an amazing lineup for this season. We I are know, starting, off, starting with off
2: with the queen. The ooh, queen. Ooh. Oh,
0: by the way, our <laughs> other queen, like our main like in house. Queen has moved officially to her PhD program. We are still in Gorgas, but Robin, can you tell it, Robbie, sorry, can you tell us where you are, where you are Skyping in from?
2: Uh, we are Skyping in from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Nice. Um Champagne. Our building, the Flub, foreign language building.
4: The Flub. I love the Flub. I love the Flub.
2: No, I've heard it from people.
4: Really? Yeah. I've met ne- that like the first time she said that. I was like, you're just, what is, I didn't know what it was. I've been here for four years. I had never heard that term before. You're
2: just so in the zone, you don't even
0: notice. And <laughs> okay. speaking of, we have our guest. <laughs> 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 so, uh, Robin, can you tell us who our guest is for today that's Skyping in with you?
2: Charlotte. Hi. Charlotte. It depends, I mean, you don't really mind either way. No. You're right, you're right. This is her fourth year here at UIUC. She's already done her master's. She's already done the whole thing. She's from Bordeaux. I love Bordeaux. (laughs) People didn't know I love Bordeaux. All right, everybody.
0: We will be right back after the short little break, and we're going to hear all about Charlotte's research. And I'm really excited. You guys stay tuned.
2: Podcast. We Woo-hoo. have Miss Charlotte with us today. Woo-hoo. Welcome. Woo-hoo. Charlotte is Team Woot Woot. Yeah. There you go, Justin. Okay, we got, we there we go. go. Team Woot Woot. So Miss Charlotte is joining us. She is in her third year, no, fourth year here, right?
4: Fifth year and third year of the PhD.
2: Okay, fifth year at UIUC, third year in the PhD. So she's already gotten her master's. She's taught classes here, and I've had the privilege of observing her myself, and Mm -hmm. she's absolutely wonderful. Um, And she's also taught at Middlebury, um, which everyone knows is very prestigious for their language, as well Mm as Texas State for a while. Um, so originally she came here to work on the linguistics of French rap, which itself is just such a cool field I recommend. Please listen to all the French rap. But now her interests have actually expanded, and she's focusing more on the intersection of linguistics, race, and social justice by focusing on the speech patterns of very famous and not so famous French black feminists.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Charlotte, do you mind just giving us just a little bit from your perspective, your research, how you got to this research interest?
4: So, my, my advisor told me that it was actually, I was probably one of the very few people who was looking to that, if not the only one. Wow. Um, which is, you know, exciting, but also very scary at the same time. Right. Um, and so, how did I get to that? It's just, I think it's just part of, because um, I was doing activism work on campus and also kind of on Twitter, I guess. So, on campus, it's more like, you know, U.S. based, and then on Twitter it's more in French Twitter that was active. Um, wow! And so it's just that I was just seeing, you know, like, the speech patterns that they have, and I'm just like, okay, like, I'm just really, really into, you know, social justice, talking about social justice. And then, so one of the things that I think was the most, two two things that were the most interesting to me, is just seeing, like, so those French black feminists who speak French, right? But Mm -hmm. they were using sometimes words that come from English, like straight, you know, borings from English. And then sometimes it was translations that they would make and sometimes it was new terms. So I started looking at that and looking at what they say about these terms. One of the main criticism that they face is that they're accused of having like a very like U.S.-based view of race because France is supposed to be colorblind, right? Uh, and so they were still like, oh, no, you just, like, you know, have that American point of view of, like, saying race exist, and then there are black people, people of color, blah, blah, blah. So it was just very interesting to see the discourse that they had around it. One example that's commonly used, like, there were articles written about it from journalists. I don't know that there were actual, like, linguistics article about it, but journalism, it's in, like, a movie um, this called, I think it's called Open the Way in English, and um, they talk about the term black. We have a word in French that say black, we say noir, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then a lot of people use the English black with the French accent, black, to talk about black people. And so they were like, why would you use that term since we have, you know, the word noir that you could use to describe black people? And so there's like a whole discourse around why people should use noir instead of black and then, you know, because it's just like like some type of like distance and that black is noir, that word noir is not pejorative towards black people. And so that's one of the first thing that I was really interested about when it comes to um, the speech patterns of black feminists in France. And then the second thing, which I think is hilarious to me, they have different ways of talking about white people. And because they're like trolls on Twitter, they they had to like kind of change the way they talk about black people. So they started like saying, you know, Les blancs, so white, just like white people. So then they would get trolls, and so they had to change. And so I don't know, like history of like the terms that they would use to describe white people, but there was like the Mayo term. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was bab two which is like verlan, so you invert the syllables of two bab, which is I think in Wolof, I think it's Wolof, that means white, like white person. It's uh-huh. so something that they would use, and then people are like, oh, it's like if I'm using the N word, it's like, no, it's not the same thing. Um, huh. And so the last thing that I think is amazing is that, so you know, like when you use the Twitter app, you have a white background, uh-huh. and you just like put spaces, and then just put an article in front of the, paces, the spaces. So les espaces. Okay. And because like because the background is white, it was supposed oh. to like, talk about white people. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, wow.
1: absolutely. That's really great. Okay. That's, that's great. And
4: so like they had the spaces, <clears throat> and then they be, they start calling people les espaces, like you like spelling out the word "space." Um, and so of course, like you know, like the whole discourse that they have around what, how they name people, why they name people, and also their responses to being named because there are like a lot of people, like I said, who just like, say like, oh, what if I call you the N-word? Like, how would you, you know, what would you think of that? And it's, it's just, it's not comparable. Like, there's, like, no history behind the word Beb too that's, like, oppressive towards white people. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that oppresses white people. Like, not even saying you don't know how to spice your food or you don't know how to dance. Like it's, you, know, <laughs> it's not, you know, there's nothing oppressive behind that. Like, it's not necessarily nice, but it's not, you know, there's no oppression. I'm just looking, that's what I want to do. Like, look at how they name people, what they say about naming people like that, what it achieves, you know, for them as, like, a group. And then also how they respond to people naming them in derogatory ways.
0: So that's really interesting. Can I go back to the very first one really quick where you're talking about... Mm -hmm. um, So, for example, I know that in Germany... So I did spend, like, a little bit of time over in Germany hanging out with a friend who does research into the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. in Germany and about how, like... I don't know if you would consider sorry for the misnomer but if it's like considered like a chapter of the black lives matter movement but Mm -hmm. it's in germany black germans have a different situation than black americans for example Mm -hmm. and so that was a really interesting comparison between the two do you think that that's a way going back to your research that you were really interested in do you think that that's a way of kind of like establishing identity within and overall organization, but you kind of do it in such a strategic way in which you're developing your own chapter.
4: I think Black Lives Matter, even in the U.S., like the different chapters have different um, different um, initiatives. Yeah, they do different things, like the one that's here in Champaign, like I was, uh, before they became like an all-black chapter, I was part of it, and I was, um, I was doing work with the organization, and, you know, they try to work with the kids, you know, like to uh, bring, bridge the gap for like I think it's math math classes. There's like a pretty big gap mm-hmm. compared to mm-hmm. um, white students, yeah. and so you know if that if that works for the U.S. too, knowing that it's the same historical context, mm-hmm. you could imagine that it works for like other countries too. Like just because you know, th- like the main difference between I feel like France and the U.S. is that our in infre- like our in France racism is more covered than in the u.s mm-hmm. um and also we don't carry guns so there's no like there's no suspicion that a black person who's like running away or like doing something would have like carry a gun and so maybe our cops are a little less trigger happy but we still get like you know we mm-hmm. like They're i'm still white but you know yeah. like the- in friends <clears> there's <throat> still so, like black people who get killed um yeah. like you know at, you know like just like from the back, like they get like bullets in their backs when they're running away
2: from yeah. the police. Right. And
4: so, yeah, it became like real heavy real quick. Yeah, <laughs> no,
2: it's a heavy topic. But what I really appreciate about your research is that it's so interdisciplinary. And if you want to keep going with, you know, I mean, your in your insight is very cool. But I actually, in terms of your research, mm-hmm. I know you've been looking at a lot of classes outside of linguistics mm-hmm. because you know, the social justice component, the, the cultural anthropology, mm-hmm. um, what are like some of those classes that you've um, been through to kind of shape your... One of the first few ones that I
4: took that was actually targeted towards my research was with a professor who's not here anymore i was really sad when he left because i literally came oh, for him like oh his man advisor, like, i, I hate like, it when that he happens he's like he's a, a historian uh he's a historian and also a historian of rap and so I, that's why i had to shift my focus actually because he, he was gone so like who am i going to do rap with yeah um who are you going to so, rap yeah. with <laughs> yeah, no. Who, who am I gonna do? I'm just kidding. I can't rap for my life. No, I cannot rap. I, t- I took a class with him. It was uh, race-based post-coloniality in France. And so he was talking about the history of racism in France and, like, all the, like, issues with, um, yeah, race in France. And so I guess that's, like, you know, I mean, I had done, like, personal work before. But that's, like, taking that class is the actual, like, first, like, academic thing that mm-hmm. I did about that mm-hmm. and then I took like a race in the mass media class I mm-hmm. took culture and language language and culture and I'm also <clears throat> taking one right now that's also called language and culture talking about different things so yeah I took um, it was a cinema class it was something about I forgot the title of the class but it was about um, immigration and the relationship with the colonies and everything. So mm-hmm. we talked about so that a lot sure. too. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: So would you say that your line of research falls under like identity research with uh, a social justice component mm-hmm. foundation, you know,
4: I would, I, I would say that for sure. I think it's like in between like sociolinguistics and then uh, linguistic anthropology, mm-hmm. um, definitely having to do with identity
0: well, there's, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer to this question, but what, do you feel like there? you specifically align with a particular theoretical framework, for example, that...
4: Kind of like the tricky questions, because that's, that's what I'm looking into right now. No, so that's like, okay. Yeah. I can put it in a comments for the podcast whenever I find it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm saying it's very important, because, yeah. like, you being one of the first ones to knowledge, like it's important to set like a very good foundation. So I was just curious if you are like thinking or tinkering with any of the yeah, theoretical frameworks right like, now.
4: It's in the process of like finding, you know, what it's going to be like, I'm still reading about it. So yeah,
1: like- I think that's, especially with qualitative work, Quali- what I'm trying to say is qualitative work lends itself to doing these kinds of inquiries where you can use, you can use ethics that are informed by social justice, like mm-hmm. in, in your methods, yeah. you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Whereas, some people would say that that, um, that that in a way like impacts the outcome of your research, right? But <clears throat> it kind of in a way goes to like lends itself to this, I guess, ongoing discussion of how much can a researcher really take themselves out of the research they're doing, right? Like mm-hmm. should we completely, as researchers, should we completely divorce ourselves from who we are? In our research or should we just embrace who we are and let that show through the causes that we are supporting, the issues that we're researching, right? That's another um, point, yeah. Yeah, and so like it's a really and that's one of the things that I really I really enjoy, particularly about qualitative research in these kinds of issues, is that it lends itself really, really well to being able to um to being able to tackle those issues.
0: I think that i mean can we just talk about the fact that social justice is so prevalent in anything academia right now because in pedagogy people are talking about social justice for foreign language pedagogy for example it's a big topic it's huge right now we were still Uh,
2: talking about that in season one with sarah finney yeah we were
0: i mean we were talking about it just i mean i think that with the new political climate maybe it could have been a result sure uh studies I think it's but like
4: going on for a while though because like when you look at some of the research that was done in linguistic anthropology like when you go back to like boas for example he started saying like okay we need to like take a step back you know trying to like dissociate ourselves from our own culture so like stop the endocentrism that you know oh that's that really a good point. That, yeah. like you know like there are like some primitive cultures and everything so it's been going on for a while but i think you know with like some like shifts that were happening in the u.s you know mm-hmm. yeah with it i think it was it became like really prevalent too i mean in di- just in different ways but it's been going on for a maybe while
0: maybe just like waves for example i bet you could yeah i bet you would be able to see waves in <clears throat> corpus research if you went back and looked through all the scholarly articles that mentioned social justice mm-hmm. and i think that it you can probably do a correlation study with like things that happen in politics versus you know mm-hmm. with the but
2: I mean honestly I think that this um the intersectionality uh the nature of your research and all this and even just as you said you kind of mentioned you mentioned a very famous you know researcher in anthropology from the anthropology perspective that the social justice is becoming more prevalent as mm-hmm. our fields becoming more and more intersect like intersectional I don't know English. intersected intersecting, intersecting.
1: intersected I don't know. All
2: three? You know, I asked really, just... ask them, like, am I saying this right? Like, Aren't you getting know. a PhD? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't... No. No. It's fine. No. You, need you probably speak better English than I do, to be
4: honest.
1: Oh. Robin Robin and, likes I, Robin likes you you to claim know, that she I, has if if a B1 go one level.
4: Back and talk to, like, language ideologies. What you said was re- No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 it just reminds me of a
2: talk I just went to uh, with the unit for criticism and interpretive theory here. Um, and it was about structuralism. So, of course, me being the linguist, I'm yeah. so excited. I was like, bring me the sosa, bring it on. No, it was anthropological structuralism. So, but he spoke a lot about how yeah, you know, well, linguistic, you know, and it, there's just intersection because then he went on to continue the Levi Strauss. Um, right. What's, what, what was it, they were called mythes, Mythemes. It was the structuralism of myths, right? And it was just something that huh. blew my mind because I couldn't think of structuralism outside of terms of linguistics, but then it it has been an mm. established field. Right. So I think maybe because and I uh, like Justin mentioned this wave basically mm-hmm. of social justice coming to the forefront in qualitative research, as Vody right. said, um, is it at least speaks to the power and the value of the intersection of these fields because you're you're diving into more. Linguistic anthropology than like mm-hmm. social. I mean, you are sociolinguistics as well, but you know, yeah.
4: well, because I'm I'm doing like both m- micro analysis and then more mm-hmm. like micro. So it's 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 a mix of both, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted so to cool.
1: um I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier when you're talking about this uh like this issue of naming. To my understanding, you said that there's people who in france who, pre- who prefer to say noir I'm, I'm probably not saying that correctly but i oh, don't do french but no. so like there's people there's people that prefer <laughs> people that prefer to say noir and then people that prefer to say black to use the mm-hmm. english the english barring. and um i think that's kind of like part of just ongoing thing that in the past in the united states for example there's been there's been various, like, terms that have been assigned Mm -hmm. to black people, right? Mm -hmm. And they've been assigned by the people who are in the existing power structure, Mm -hmm. right? And so then we have to ask ourselves these questions of, like, who's coming up with these names? Who's doing this? And also, and now because the culture has changed to being, like, embracing this, like, individualism, right? And so Mm -hmm. now, like, one term that, say, one group of people that they think is appropriate for them isn't necessarily like another group feels like it's not appropriate who may may have like, who may be viewed as being part of the same culture. They may be seen as just being like, okay, this is a term for black people in France. Right. But because people now have the ability to say like, you know, this isn't, they have the freedom, they have the platform through things like Twitter and social media, Mm -hmm. they can basically say for the first time, like, Hey, like this term, like I don't, I don't like this term, Mm -hmm. you know? And so there's this kind of interesting, um, like modern way where people are actually for the first time being able to like say what they want to be called, right? Mm-hmm. And not just allowing um, a name to be attached onto them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well I think that I mean this is not a brand new phenomenon where people are saying, no, you can't that's not what I go by, I go by this. So like for mm-hmm. example, uh, I don't know if any of you guys have been watching on Netflix uh the show called Explained. It's yes, it. fantastic. And it was something episodes And they're just like it, things explained. Yeah, it's uh, like, explained, 10, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Verified. <laughs> yes. And so, like, they're like, what, 20 minute little bite sized things or whatever. And the most, one of the most recent ones was called Political Correctness. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about, they mentioned uh, the women's movement, how there was a movement with naming somebody as either Miss, Mrs., or Ms. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And mm-hmm. interestingly, different countries react in a different way based on this shift or this movement progression. So, for example, in France, they just completely took out mademoiselle, Mademoiselle, right? Mm -hmm. And they only had madame for official documents, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, To take away the whole entire married versus non-married thing. But now, do you think that that is going so much quicker because everybody's able to kind of voice their opinions on such a larger platform?
4: You know, I think it depends on the topic. I think it depends on, like, how progressive it is or, like, how. So, like, the example of the madame and mademoiselle, like, I think people accepted it, like, pretty quickly. Um, I personally don't care, honestly. I -hmm. think I'm at an age now where people call me madame, you know. But there's, like, some other things that are, especially with the context of France, like, there's some other things that, Um, see more resistance. So, for example, what we call uh, inclusive writing. Um, So, essentially, so, you know, French is a gendered language. You make agreements with the masculine, make agreements with the feminine. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so, there's, like, several things going on with that. Uh, One of the rules being that if you have, I don't know, one dude and then 20 girls, you're still going to use the masculine to, like, Mm -hmm. make it agree with. And so people are just not happy with that. It's like, why would it be like the masculine, you know, being
2: default? Yeah, the
4: default. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, people are just like questioning, like, why it became like that in the first place, because it was not always like that. And it was actually, of course, men who like push for it. And then so more recently, there have been like tries to like feminize the French language. So, for example, like all the. professions that are usually like more masculine profession, or stereotypically masculine profession professor uh like a researcher you know stuff like that um are always gendered in the masculine like the french 101 class that i'm teaching right now the book is presenting a female teacher as being a professeur. so the masculine uh, article and then the masculine ending to it and so you know i told my students like well There have been uh, feminist movements who are trying to feminize the 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 language. You know, gave like advice on like how to do it. There was like a commission that produced like a report about it. And then the French Academy, which is the language institution in France, was like, nope, not happening. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And then so the 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 government said, okay, we're cool with like having the feminine version of some of the terms. And then they give like the some of the ideas from the report. However, what they're not work, do, they don't want to work with is the inclusive writing. Hmm. So, including, including, ooh, struggling. Inclusive <laughs> writing How it works is that you're going to have like the, the masculine root, and then you put like a dot. So it can be either like a dot in the middle, or just like a like a period, like the dot mm-hmm. and the period. Um, you do that, and then you put the e, and then another dot, and then the s to so, like to say, uh, you give like all the options at once. It's not always, like, when you have a change in the writing, like, when you have, have, I don't know, the adjective for happy, like, heureux, and then it becomes heureuse, you have different ways of writing it, so you just, like, they just, like, activists found, like, really, linguistics activists found really interesting ways to, like, spell it. And, like, the government was, like, no, we're not going to do that. Like, yeah, the, like the, <laughs> the French Academy said that it was, like, an attack on French. And it's just, like, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, like, people are using it. Like, I, I use it more and more. I right. tell my students, like, hey, this is the gender-inclusive pronouns. Like, if you have, like, trans students, like, you are yourself, you know, using they pronouns in English. Right. Like, I have options for you in French. And, of course, like, the book is not going to teach that. Of course they're not. But I decided to talk about it. And so that's one of the things that... Is met with resistance and this by having like so many people Mm -hmm. talking about it on social media, Mm -hmm. like so many, you know LGBTQ people just saying like this is what we want. We want it to be inclusive Mm -hmm. And also feminists saying like why do we have to like gender everything in a masculine, you know? Yeah, So And so there is like resistance for that. So even with a platform like people start using it more and more People who want to start using it more and more, but like on in terms of like language institutions, mm-hmm. whether it's the French Academy, who's just like, no, you want the death of French, and then, <laughs> and then oh, that's like literally so what they is what say. They like this, is literally what they say. Like you want, you want the French language to die mm-hmm. with using that. I mean, <laughs> so over dramatic. So- Come on, <clears throat> old white guys, like you can do better. And yeah, the government said like, no, we don't want, we
2: don't, we don't want you to use them. And I just kind of wanted to quickly contextualize for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with French. Essentially, people equate the French language with the French identity. And French mm-hmm. people are very proud and not just in France, but also in Francophone countries as well. But especially in France, I mean, because, for example, the French Academy, like Charlotte mentioned, is not a properly government institution. Like they have no say over linguistic legislation or anything, they give suggestions, but traditionally they are, you know, observed as the the authority on mm-hmm. the language right. and its status and its preservation and its purism. And um, also, like, for example, the issue that Charlotte was talking about with the inclusivity in the French language was such a big deal. And this is something I teach in my 102 classes at Alabama. The president himself and the prime minister, the prime minister was actually the most vocal about the inclusivity in the mm-hmm. language. And he had to come out and give a press conference saying that, no, this is not allowed. You are not changing the French language. So the prime minister himself is getting involved. And there's a week in March, I wanna say, when the president Emmanuel Macron um, on Twitter it's a whole campaign, like a week full of talking about Francophone pride, linguistic, you know... you know, Maintenance? So it's basically like, this is a go French language campaign that endures for a whole week. And he's talking that it's also a celebration of the multifaceted collective French identity and it's comprised yeah she's <laughs> 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 what <the> <laughs> left in French right, right. <laughs> at the same time. He's promoting the French language, But then he's also saying that, well the identity of France is so you know, we come from different origins and everything, but they're the same. and then he goes back to the, but the French language itself is so the important. This, yeah. But if you can, for, you know, us being Americans, that's just so hard to imagine that somebody like the president of my country would be on a linguistic campaign trail could you imagine like even no i could not
3: (laughs) (laughs) um,
0: poor bush he couldn't get things together for his own linguistic campaign trail
2: a significant politician taking their time and focusing their energy and their research and their resources into promoting language because it's that important. See, well, there I was well there was
1: a there was a pretty significant movement. Um, I think it's kind of. Faded into the background a bit in some places, at least in Alabama, it has. But um, I mean, there there was a lot of there were a lot of initiatives during the like mm-hmm. like 2005 to 2010 ish of oh, um, right, like right, English right. like English language only. There was a law that was passed where that became the official language of the state was English only and Mm so it caused a lot of issues because we have um, business relationships, trade relationships with um, car manufacturers in Germany, car manufacturers Mm -hmm. in Korea and um, Japan as well. At one point you could take your driving test and like your written test was offered translated into 20 different languages and now it's just in English. So, of course, what that means is that if someone is on the road and they don't speak English, they also have not read what the laws are because the books are not made available in mm-hmm. their language. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a really bad it's a really bad situation. But um, yeah, uh, so in terms of English only, like English prominence, like monolingualism, pol- politicians are involved in that. But I don't think they're. I couldn't imagine seeing like a a political figure on the national scale being involved in like the the nitty gritty, like you know, like the the down and dirty details of like the language itself, you know, like. But uh, it's
0: it's interesting because you're talking about institutionalized linguistic policy, right? And sure. so one way that I mean, this is what I think about as far as like the laspas or what, the mm-hmm. you know talking about white people and or like to, it's almost kind of like designating them us or whatever it's kind of like the community right because you said it took place primarily in black twitter in France yeah okay so that's automatically like a very interesting just linguistic environment that you can study right but mm-hmm. it it's kind of would you say Charlotte that that's a way to kind of Go against the French Academy that is institutionalizing the French policy.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's uh,
0: so I, I mean, do you have any kind of things that you want to elaborate as far as that goes for?
4: Um. I think it's just because the French language is so tied to identity, but at the same time, like when you're black in France, like you're reminded all the time that you're not French. Like yeah. even if they tell you like you're French, it's like, oh, where are you from? But like, where are you really from? Uh-huh. Like in the U.S. is different because like with the history of slavery, like if you ask a black person like where are you from, and it's like, well, I don't know because you know all the records were like right. destroyed by your people, you know. So it's like a different type of history. So in France, of course, we have. Uh, people from the Caribbean who's you know have been but they still have their like Caribbean identity. In in France when you see a black person, you like assume that maybe their parents, grandparents, great grandparents are from Africa. Hmm. And so and so like there's that question of identity like always questioning, you know. Um and there's like a famous um journalist whose name is Rokaya Diallo, who actually came to UAB two years ago. Yeah. Um and she are she's asked and she's Muslim too. So she's asked, like, all the time, like, well, like like, did people, like, racist people tell you should go back to your country? But, like, I was born in Paris. What are you talking about? Right. I, uh... and so, and so, you know, like, the whole question of identity is just like, okay, so if you're not going to, like, give us the identity, like, why would you speak, why would we speak the language the way you want it to? And so they just have, like, so many ways, you know. That's
1: so so then the question. Yeah, that's, that's really valid. That's really good.
0: Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so then the question is, like. Can the French Academy keep up with social media's initiatives to change uh, linguistic well, to features in French?
2: Social media to begin with, I, so. I,
4: so, so interesting interesting <laughs> enough interestingly enough, there's no linguist in the French Academy. Oh yeah
2: yeah they're all writers.
4: yeah and so and I think there's like maybe like two brown people if I'm out of like how many 40 people 45.
2: 45? 45 of there the. There are like two, three brown people, right. and just to again contextualize, um, the forty five, their their positions for life, um, when you would join the academy, of says it's like the Supreme Court of linguistics, <laughs> <laughs> and they call themselves the Immortals. Yeah. Oh no yeah yeah, no, yeah,
1: yeah, that is some dystopian <laughs> stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good, so it's kind of it's kind of like you know, yeah, like yeah, the you're right, um, what what Charlotte was saying the language is tied to the identity right. and so the academy is basically is given this position this elevated position society to say mm-hmm. not only this is the language but what they're really saying is this is the identity right because yeah, the exactly. two the two the two are, the two are so t- are tied so closely together but
0: that linguistic policy goes even further and pushes the it like l- further limits the constraints On people, as far as the identity of being educated, as in following the norms of the French Academy, or uneducated, and so like there are people that buy into because I guess they would be more conservative in a sense. I'm not sure the political standings of the French Academy
2: between the American system and the French system. Like to be liberal in an American sense is different than being liberal.
0: liberal. Uh, The very first thing that you mentioned, where you're talking about saying noir versus black, right, Mm -hmm. is one considered correct by the french liberal and one is considered incorrect by the french conservative
4: i think black was pop like became popular because of sos racisme it's like a, a supposedly anti-racist organization that was fun. like i think it was started in like 83 or something in the, in the 80s early 80s okay and so it became like more popular because of that i think it's just like people are using like noir with like very bad like stereotyping so the word itself became bad but it was actually just like people just saying terrible things about black people and so they started using black because it has like that you know like distance you know
0: it's something interesting for future research right like yeah right right right, perceptions towards the worst use of law versus black but
2: the black feminist figures that you've been following and then you've been looking at their discourse patterns and everything and we're talking about representation and and um implementation i guess of linguistic of french is there a manner in which feminists present their discourse that gives them more legitimacy as a feminist like is there a certain term certain like new versus black for example like if hmm. someone <clears throat> spoke or presented their, their themselves one way that they're like oh, okay well they're more into the movement or they're more aware of the situation yeah yeah
4: yeah, yeah. uh definitely if you are a black woman and you say je suis black to like introduce yourself people would just be like you're not so they're called afrofeminists i'm going to use the Afrofem, like that's how they Mm -hmm. call themselves like they would just not belong to that group because it's like we already talked about why we should use noir and not black Mm -hmm. there's like a section of a movie that's about it like it's a documentary um and so they're like, okay, we're past that. Right. So yeah, it's like there are like some like if there's some like if you, there's some terms that you use, then you would not be deemed like like some, like Afrofem, you know? Okay.
2: Yeah. Like and are are there like patterns? Like for example, you know, Twitter because Twitter we use shortened language for that character limit, even though it's just I don't know what it is anymore. Now it's just like a circle, and I just have to watch it. So in that mysterious character limit. Is there a certain way? So, for example, like if they use proper sentences, if they use proper, like instead of like, A, for example, to say you are, they just say t like so, something like micro level like that.
4: Um, yeah. They, well, the t the, the t just, like, apostrophe e s. It's it's already casual, so right. it's more like you know like reported not reported speech, but like it's just like how they speak. So <laughs> that would be acceptable. But sometimes, yeah, they do like you know instead of spelling out like beaucoup, which means a lot in French, they would just like. Write the shortened version like BCP. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, they would use like abbreviations, but it, they usually try because they know that they're going to be trolls because they not have trolls like who just like hateful of them and just like, okay, whenever you're going to say something that is out of line, I'm going to come at you and just like, you know, harass right. you for days and days and days. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. um, so, they, they know, you know, that they can't really like make like spelling mistakes and everything. So, they are more
3: careful with yeah. how they present themselves. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. That's hmm. a, that's Interesting. Guys, we could talk for days about her research, and I, I think. Know
2: these guys, they can talk for
0: days. They I want to continue this conversation so bad. Maybe continue the conversations in the comments under the grablings, you know, uh, oh, post on Twitter. Yeah. Uh But I think that we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back. We need to learn about Charlotte's graduate experience and she needs to impart some wisdom on us. So you guys (laughs) hang tight and we'll be right back. More from Charlotte very soon. Charlotte, I have absolutely loved hearing about your research, and it really kind of brings me to... I mean, with your research, I think that it's so current and relevant. And to be honest with you, there was this one experience that I had with a professor when I was talking about my dissertation topic, and she heard my entire spiel. And then the next question that she asked me was not in a malicious way, not in a an accusatory way, but just really of trying to get down to the nitty-gritty of the purpose of my research, she asked me this question. And she asked it just like this. She said, so what? And that is a really difficult but very crucial question to answer when you're talking about research. I mean, people think that researchers just sit in their ivory tower and they they do their research and it has no impact on our knowledge or how society functions in any kind of way. But when you really think about your dissertation topic as the entrance into the academic community, that so what question becomes the most fundamental foundational question that you have to answer and so if you don't mind i'm going to ask you that same question charlotte so what
4: okay so the good thing about it being a podcast is that it's not my dissertation defense no yeah no. that's true <laughs> <laughs> it's very low, low stakes low stakes here. <laughs>
0: right. low stakes so, uh,
4: <laughs> so I, I guess i'm just gonna preface it by saying like i'm still in the process of like understanding everything i'm doing and so i do have like ideas of like what like what is going to bring to the world and what it's going to bring to you know like research and um i think one of the few things is like informing on racial relations in france we're going to do that and like we don't like talking about that because again like French is france is supposed to be like a colorblind society so i think it informs on that i think it informs on like Identity on social media and like you you perform it mm-hmm. it, it informs on um, Just like how you perform identity in general. Yeah, um, but I, I think the social media component is like really important especially when I look at um, How they speak like using gifts and everything and like, you know, being like extra sassy sometimes <laughs>
3: um,
4: And and it's funny because even like using the gifts like creates like whole like other debates So it's it's kind of cool. Um but yeah, I think, you know, race relations, how you perform identity in general, how you perform identity in social media, how, like, um, like the figures of personhood, you know, like how it's, like, used, um, like, through language for those people, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely not, like, a definite answer. It's, gonna keep it's going to But it's an
0: evolving to- answer, right? Yeah. Like, that's the, that's the beautiful part of doing any kind of research is that the answer to the so what question should and will be evolving Mm -hmm. in nature Mm -hmm. charlotte i think that that was an absolutely amazing question thanks for letting us put you on the spot with with the so what question for this episode she's been ready she's hey you guys stay tuned we'll be right back we want to learn a little bit more about charlotte's experience as a grad student and we're going to talk about lessons learned be right back
1: Okay, Charlotte, this brings us to our next section, which is called Lessons Learned. So if you could go back in time and if you could imagine yourself as a first-year grad student in either your master's or your PhD, what is something that you wish that you could have gone back and told yourself, something that would be a valuable lesson for all of the little gradlings listening to the podcast today?
4: Okay. My my thing of the moment is that I would just like go back take myself by the shoulder, shake myself, and say, it's all performative! <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I would do. Yeah. You know, everyone is performing in grad school, like, everyone is performing that we're okay, that we're not tired, or that, mm-hmm. you know, like, you have time to do things, you don't. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to other people. It's detrimental to everyone. No one is liking that. No, like, <laughs> I, I, but, yeah, it's true. I, I, no, I mean, yeah, because, like, I, I just see how, like, I have, like, imposter syndrome. And then I'm just, like, everyone knows, like, so much more than I do. I know nothing. I'm, like, Jon Snow. I'm just, like, you know, I, I don't understand anything. Do you not know that reference? I, I,
0: I don't understand it's that game game reference, of which is- <laughs> I was gonna say, that's a Game of, a game of Thrones person. I mean, I know, okay, anyways.
4: I flopped with my Game of Thrones reference. Usually people get it's it. It's okay, no, I everyone know. else will get it. It's just, in
2: particular, these two
4: gentlemen. Yeah, that's <laughs> <watch> not it. <laughs> And so yeah, like everyone you know is struggling and like we are too prideful to say anything about it. Like I gave a presentation last week in one of my classes and um, I was reading the article and like I was really like Silverstein and everything. It's like it's so hard to like decode what he's saying. And so I spent like hours and hours and hours like reading the things. And I was like, I don't understand like half of what's going on. And so I went to class and I was like, okay, so I struggled. And uh, so instead of just like asking like the smart questions to, you know, pretend that I know what's going on, I'm just going to ask the actual questions that I have like, what is going on in that? What do you think? What do you thought was helpful? You know? Yeah. And so, that's, like, a practice that I have, like, I, sure, like, it's making more, like, more, it's making me more vulnerable, but at the same time, like, I think it's better for myself to, like, be okay with being in the process of learning and not knowing everything, and, like, also, like, being a non-native speaker, like, I took English classes until high school, and then everything else is just from, like, practicing. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you talk to your friends, it's not the same as, like, being in class, and so I always feel like my academic writing or my academic speech, like, is not... Is not like comparable to like everyone else because I'm I just speak the way I speak. Like right now is the way I speak in class, you know, like and so I'm I'm not good with the big words. I'm not good with all of that. And so it's it's all performative. Um,
1: I think I think that's that's a a wonderful answer. And I think that there's been we've had we've had guests previously who have said a similar thing um, of this, you know, like grad students like we're, we're put in this position of we have to be smart like we re, we have to know the answer we have mm-hmm. to you know whatever and i remember feeling this way and i had a really i had a really really good professor in my uh first qualitative research class because we're having this discussion about like ontology and epistemology which are first of all, both really difficult words that mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I've heard that before. Yeah. I think I might have an idea of what that is. So like we're and we're talking about all these different, you know, like postmodernism and um, positivism and post positivism and like all of these huge like schools of, of thought and philosophy and knowledge and knowledge creation and all this. And at some point like she basically said it's totally fine here to raise your hand and be like, I have no idea what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. you know? And that was such a, and like literally the entire class, like had this collective sigh of relief of Mm -hmm. like, thank God we're no longer having to perform, but it's, you know, we need to take a second and realize that we don't have all the answers that we need to, you know, uh, and it's, and it's, and then, and that's okay.
0: And many professors would even say, please don't act as if, you already know everything like the purpose of coming to the class is to learn for the first time and if you're a first year master student if you're a last year PhD student like me there are some things that you just did not learn because you cannot possibly learn everything and you just I guess academia is kind of it can be toxic in a way for grad students because you're surrounded by people who are at different levels like you're a first year master's student talking to a last year PhD student and I mean you can't compare and especially because mm-hmm. oftentimes that first year master's student is being exposed to things that in the in academia the PhD student has kind of shifted away from because the more you get into it the more you funnel into the specifics yeah. of your field your discipline and you can't know everything you know and admitting the fact that you are a learner. It's really just learning to learn, right? Wouldn't you agree? Like, um, but those are my two cents. Charlotte, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, anything else that you'd like to share to any grad students out there that are struggling by chance? <laughs> um,
4: just get the help that... get Like, use all the resources that, mm-hmm. that you can. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. And I think 100%. It's just really quick to it just really spoke to something I just went through recently. So I'm starting, you know, round two of graduate school and I'm in class with, or I'm meeting people at least in graduate school who are just fresh out of college, like undergrad and they're ready and they're, they're bright eyed, bushy tailed, like I'm going to do the best. And I had one student mention to me that, yeah, I know in this class it's just like, it's a competition of who can get the last word in, who can ask the smartest question. And I looked at him and I was like, no, it's not what are you talking about? And you're just like, well, no, I just feel like I need to prove myself. So I need to ask the professor a question that's going to leave an impression. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew I was like, I have been through graduate school. Because <laughs> that is, that is, first of all, that's clearly not healthy thinking. That's mm-hmm. not a healthy mentality. And honestly, it also showed me, which was kind of a surprise that this mentality had already harvested, not in graduate school, but in undergrad and maybe yeah. even high school.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're,
2: we're trained to think like that. Yeah. And it's really terrible. And, um, and it's, it's not um, that student's
0: fault, right? No, like, it's, it's literally no, the just the
4: system. No, yeah. it's, it's just like a toxic, you know, a toxic atmosphere that's going on in academia mm-hmm. that we're supposed to like perform all the time. And I'm trying to learn like how to like distance myself from that, but also still be able to code switch if I need to, because yeah. so I'm in the <laughs> process of like, like literally code switching. Yeah, right? it is, that's um, funny. Yeah. And like to be able to like sound smart, to like get the opportunities that I want. And then like try to like mm-hmm. make the system fall from within, you know, like. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love
2: it. I mean,
0: Anyways, I think that it's time for one of our favorite sections, right Bowden? I believe so And I think this is Robin's favorite section
2: So one of our favorite Parts of the program How I came up with it Um, (laughs) uh, If you will permit me the Hashtag (laughs) For describing your Experience as a graduate student And we, we like to ask this Of our guests Because if you could Basically summarize Your experiences so far And give yourself A hashtag Um, as a grad student, as a a linguist, as a budding linguist, I guess, what would it be?
4: I think I'm going to stay on the positive side and say hashtag get well soon.
2: Okay.
3: Oh, I
2: like um, that. I like that. Can you elaborate? What? Are you, what are, yeah. What are you referring to? With, uh, well,
4: okay. So it's like super recent, and I'm 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 shamelessly plugging my friend's music. My friend, it's a, he's a great friend of mine. He came out with uh, a new EP yesterday, and I was listening to it. And one of the songs is "Get Well Soon," mm-hmm. and it talks about like depression, like taking care of taking care of yourself, like in a more like individual way, and then talking about like society as a whole. But like that song really spoke to me, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's gonna be like you know, my, my thing for now is like, get well soon. It's like, you know, okay. trying to work and like feeling better. Like I said, I talked about performativity. Um, it's something that plays a lot. I have a general anxiety disorder. And so that's something that's slowing me down a lot in grad school. I also had depression and I had depressive episodes. And so, you know, I'm just like, okay, now it's about like working to feeling better, working to understanding yourself more. And so, yeah, I'm just want to be positive and see get well soon.
2: And no. um, just to further plug your friend, what is their um, recording? Their name. First. His name
4: is Von P. Von and he P. just had an EP with um, a group of producers who are called The Other Guys. So Von P and The Other Guys. Uh, Von other P guy. and okay, The Other well, Guys. Okay, well, Von
0: P and The Other Guys only get one That's hug. their one. That's, that's for their one. one. That's that's one. Okay? One. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's the <laughs> one. And the album is called, I'm Good Love. Enjoy. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love <that> title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Good Love. <laughs> that's, so yeah, I, did, I was not trying to plug my friend's music, but I, that's, like, the that's really relevant. Plug. It, you plug away. You
0: get one. I mean, yeah. you might as well use your (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely that's good i like that it's i like that it's positive and uh you know it's
0: like it's you know in in progress and Mm -hmm. you know it's like you
3: exactly yeah
0: i like that guys before we go we just wanted to plug uh the university of alabama languages conference that we're going to be hosting uh at the university of alabama on february 8th and 9th of 2019 we are very pleased to welcome dr manuel diaz campos from indiana university at bloomington and dr esther allen from uh suny city university of new york they're they're both and i think that they're going to be two amazing uh speakers coming to talk to us about absolutely i know manuel diaz campos uh i'm familiar with his work esther allen she's going to be talking to us about french and latin american iberian and latino c- cultures and very cool uh but, yeah, uh, come and join us. I think that we're actually going to be hosting a an episode. We are
1: hosting an episode. A and, live episode. And Robin will also be joining us.
0: I know. Robin is coming down all the way to Tuscaloosa from Illinois to come and uh, record. We're th- going to have a round table discussion roundtable with us, discussion with some grad
1: students and kind of a quick uh, lessons learned and yeah. talking about their research. And, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. It should be a very rewarding experience If you're if you're going to be in town. I mean... come Come. you know you're very welcome go to www.ualc.as.ua.edu a little bit a little (laughs) bit long that's fine it's it's all right uh you can also reach out to me uh w morgan at crimson.ua.edu because Uh, you are the vice president i got to choose who came and who did not come i know a lot of power lots of power not actually it was a committee decision I wasn't (laughs) I wasn't the only person that was just like "Mm, like it don't like it anyways but yeah uh, come and join us it should be awesome we would like to thank the university libraries at the University of Alabama specifically the tech people that help us with all of our issues (laughs) we will (laughs) love Sanford Media Center Center. yeah we got some uh, we have an awesome team of tech uh, of tech people that know a lot more about tech savvy humans uh i would also like to thank dr aaron for being the advisor for uh the gradlings podcast i'd like to thank the modern languages and classics uh department of modern languages and classics who doug life who is the uh, department chair and our listeners our listeners Uh yeah let me shamelessly also plug Go and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, follow us on Facebook, share this uh, podcast with all of your friends. If you're interested in being in an episode, please email us,
1: gradlingspodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. It's our very first episode of season three.
2: And a minor thank you to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For. The internet connection. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. For thank you, you
1: Shambana. That? The internet it has been wonderful. We've been looking at Charlotte and Robin's beautiful faces this entire time. It has been the internet. Oh, okay.
0: Charlotte, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for kicking off season three. And we look forward to seeing your research. All right, guys. Well, that's a wrap. We'll see you next time.
3: <laughs> 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 oh my god, I wish we had that, I wish we had that, like... <laughs>